Turn to Luke 23, verse 39, and that's where we'll be if you're using your Bible app, whichever you prefer. And as you're turning there and getting ready for us to study God's Word, I just want you to know that this April, Pastor Andrew will be celebrating 10 years of ministry at Clover Hill. And uh, we are, we want to take April 9th and really honor him and really uh, let him know how much we appreciate him. So over the next two weeks, Starting next week, we'll have a box and some and some uh, a box for you to put any cards you would like to put in there. We're just encouraging you to write a little thank you or or just express your appreciation to them. And and if you want to put some gift cards in that or some money, how many know words are good? But money money just kind of helps words even sound bigger and better. So uh, if you want to do that, ten years is quite the accomplishment, and we are blessed for him to be a part of us. And so. Uh, well, that's April 9th, next two weeks. Today, I'm going to uh, keep in my series called Last Words. It's the final words that Christ talked about on the cross, and those are important words. I haven't been around many people that are dying, but occasionally, I'll be around the deathbed, and, and they're not looking to see how their IRA is doing, or they're not, they, you know what they want? They want family. They want friends, and they want to tell them something important. They want to let them know how much they love them or share some of their last thoughts or their last ideas with them. And so Jesus had already went to the garden, and it was there where he came to grips with the will of God for his life. And he said, if this cup can pass from me, let it be. But nevertheless, God, I want your will more than anything else. And it was at that moment that the guards came up and, and his, the ultimate betrayal, G, Judas kissed him on the cheek. The other disciples fled, and Peter followed from a distance and uh, did not get too close. It was at the courtyard where Jesus, by the Roman guards, was beaten and brutalized, and his flesh back laid open like a fresh plowed field, his, his head shoved with the crown of thorns. They, they forced him up a hill. They, they drove spikes in his wrists and his feet. They, they put him on that cross, and they, and they hung it there, and, and, they, and they left him there, and, and beside him were two criminals. All four of the accounts in the Gospels tell, tell us that there were two criminals beside him, but only Luke gives us insight into the conversation. Only Luke tells us what was said, and here's what Luke says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. One event, two responses. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Do you not, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting, for what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Again, one event, two, two responses, two decisions. One said yes to Jesus. The other one said no. And today I think as you study this and as you look at that, you can see two questions that each of us have to answer if we're going to experience eternal life. Because Jesus responded, and we'll get to that later. He responded to the second criminal and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise is a real place. Heaven is forever. Eternity is, goes on and on. So if you want eternity in heaven, there is some insight in how to get there in this dialogue, in this conversation. And the first question that has to be asked is, do you recognize your need? Do you realize 
Did you need a savior? And you would think that's a very easy question to answer, but many people don't see their need. They think, well, I'm an American. Well, well, my mama went to church. My grandmother prayed for me. I'm okay. I'm, I'm better than that person. And so they don't identify with their need. And so in response, they kind of stiff arm Jesus and say, I can do it on my own. I'll make my own way. I'll follow my own path. But he, here's the reality we, we, and you, you can't understand you need a savior until you realize you're a sinner. And so let me ask you, have you ever lied? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't, I don't want to embarrass you. But, but if I ask you that, if you've ever lied and you didn't raise your hand, you're probably lying. There's a real good chance because, because we've all lied. And you know what liars are, you know what, who people, you know what they call people who lie? They call them liars. That, that we've all lied. We're liars. You, has anybody ever stole something? Again, don't raise your hand, but maybe from a store, maybe from an employee, you took a staple gun that you shouldn't have took. You said, what's the big deal? Well, in reality, it's, it's stealing. You put more hours on your time card than you really work. Whatever the, it, you know what the Bible says? If you don't give God your first 10%, you've stolen from God. You've stolen. So, so what are people called who steal? They're called thieves. Yeah, has anybody ever uh, put another person or passion our ambition, our priority in front of God, where, where that became your focus and moving up the ladder or, or, or winning this girl's heart or, or whatever it might be. If you have put something in your heart ahead of God, the Bible calls you an idolater. So let me just, hey, if you're visiting today, welcome to Clover Hill. <laughs> my, name, my name is Pastor Stan, and you are our lying, thieving idolater. And, and so am I. And so am I. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned to our own way. We are all in need. The, the issue is, are we going to acknowledge it? Are we just going to say, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay? And, and one criminal said, I'm in need. I'm up here because my sins deserve it. And what a lying, thieving idolaters deserve. They deserve death. The wages of sin is death. They deserve separation from a holy God. So, so there's, there's one event, two responses, and some things don't change. I'll, 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 you know, I preach the same message, the same text, the same passion, the same ideas, and some people are leaning in, and they get it. Oh, I've fallen short. And the Holy Spirit is really the one that reveals it to them. Their eyes are open. Oh, I missed the mark. I need Jesus. And then there are others that just sit there like a, 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 a donut, a, you know, a donut that's just glazed over, just, just Krispy Kreme donut. Just, it goes right over their head. And they don't, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm okay. Before you can know, before you can be saved, before you can experience eternity in heaven, before you can have abundant life on earth, you first have to realize that you have missed the mark, that you've fallen short, that you've that you've blown it, and that you need forgiveness. And the only one that can forgive you of your sin is Jesus. It's not your works. It's not your goodness. It's not your, it's not your well intentions. It's the blood of Jesus is the only one that can forgive you of your sins and reconcile you back to God. Here's the other question is, who do you say Jesus is? And this is a very, very important question, and, and, and it needs to be more than just head knowledge or just even uh, profession. It needs to be a, a, who do you say that Jesus is? One of the guys on on here, he, he described and, and he said that the repentant criminal said, don't you fear God, this man has done nothing wrong. He, he later says, 
remember me when you go into your kingdom. So he's acknowledging Jesus as a king and a king as a leader. So he's saying, you're not only hanging on the cross because, because, because I messed up, you're dying for me. But when you get off this cross, I want to be where you're at. He confessed that with his mouth. And, 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 and here's, here's the deal. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you follow the Bible, or if you don't, you, 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 you can have your different ideas about Jesus. But here's one fact that is true for non-believer, believer, God follower, not seeker, say whatever, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and Jesus was put in a tomb. That is a historical fact. We, we don't, even, don't even look at the Bible. But the, the t- you say, well, well, how do you know? That's a historical fact. How do you know Abraham Lincoln died, lived? How do you know? You weren't there. Some of you were, but just a few of you. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know. You, didn't, you weren't there when he wrote that, that, that declaration. You weren't there when he, uh, uh, you know, did all the stuff that he did. You weren't there at Gettysburg. You weren't at his election. You weren't at his inaugural. You have to depend on books. You have to depend on pictures. You have to depend on historians passing down information generation to generation. And, and just like we believe in Abraham Lincoln, if you believe in history, you've got to believe in Jesus. But then I want you to think about this. When you, when you begin to wonder, consider, well, who am I going to say Jesus is? I want you to consider his birth because his birth was unique. It was supernatural. It was special. It was predicted 700 years before he was born. Here's what the uh, prophet Isaiah said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign and the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 700 years before Christ came to earth, it was predicted that he would come. His birth was announced by an angel. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of of the Most High. His birth was a supernatural conception. Here, here's how the, 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 the writer describes it. Gabriel the angel came to Mary and, and Mary said, Gabriel, how can this be? I've never been with any man. I am a virgin. And he responded, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and, and, you're, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And you cannot negate and you cannot belittle the virgin birth because for Jesus to fully uh, redeem the world and forgive you of your sin, he had to be fully God, fully man, and he had to be sinless. And the only way that he could accomplish those three was to have God as a father, that made him fully God. To have Mary as his mother, that made him fully man. And to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and allowed him to live out his life with sinlessness, with no, with no uh, transgression whatsoever. When you, when you think about Jesus and when you're trying to decide, well, who am I going to say that he is? You have to consider his birth. Consider his life. Everybody who touched him was healed. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain came. And the demons possessed came, and those having seizure came, and the paralyzed came, and he healed them all. Everybody that came to Jesus was, was touched by, with their infirmities. He, everybody who heard him was amazed. Here's what, again, the, the authors say when Jesus had finished saying those things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the other teachers of the law. There was something unique, something special about the way he taught. We get, a, we get a glimpse into that in John chapter 4. 
a window opens for us to understand a little bit about Jesus. And he's having a conversation with the woman at the well. And, and they begin the dialogue, and he begins sharing with her that things nobody would know unless they were close to her. And, and then he just begins to express the love of God to her and talk about worship. And she gets stirred up on the end. I mean, God's doing something in her, and, and she's recognizing this guy as not ordinary, but special and unique and, and, and speaking with authority. And she goes back to her friends. She goes back to her families and says, hey, I just talked with this guy who knew everything about me, and maybe he's the Christ. Maybe he's the one we've been waiting on. Maybe he's the Messiah that's come. And so they, they, they say, well, let's go see it. And so all the people go out to him, and they convince him to stay with him for two days. And so for two days, he teaches. He lives amongst them. He, he talks with them. He talks to them about the kingdom of God. He talks them what it means to be righteous and, and how to live for God. And they say, we no longer believe just because of what the woman said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God. Of God. All the prophecies concerning him were fulfilled. You know, there were 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that came to truth in the New Testament. 300. Let me just give you four. Uh, Micah prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. 700 years before he was born, Micah said, Our Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem. Herod uh, was the king during that time. And he was an evil king, and he got word that this new king was coming on the scene, and this new Messiah was coming on the scene. And so it was his heart to, to really try to kill him. And so he went throughout Egypt looking for him, and he couldn't find Jesus. Why? Because Hosea prophesied 800 years before the birth of Jesus that out of Egypt I will call my son. So though he was born in Bethlehem, he got out. Joseph took him to Egypt to stay away from the evil King Jeremiah said that when Jesus came to earth, that the babies under two years old would be killed. And sure enough, Jose, uh, uh, Herod had all the babies killed. Isaiah prophesied that there would be a forerunner to Christ, and, and he would come to prepare the way. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, we understand that that was John the Baptist who came as a forerunner, a precursor to what Christ was going to, just kind of making the way for Jesus coming into his ministry. Those are four of the 300. He, he fulfilled all 300. Uh, Josh McDowell has a book called uh, A Verdict That Demands uh, Evidence. And, and, and he said, asked this guy, Matt Peter Stoner, about the possibilities of Jesus fulfilling all 300 prophecies. And this guy said, you just, you just take silver dollars and put them all over Texas, where they'll cover Texas two feet deep. And then on one of the coins, put an X on it, and then scramble them all up. And your chances of picking out that coin with the X on it is the same chance that Jesus had filling eight of the 300 prophecies concerning him. But he didn't fulfill eight. He fulfilled all 300s. Consider his death. Again, you know, if you weren't here last week, I gave a little bit of background on this. But the, the crucifixion was not unusual. I mean, it happened all the time. That's how the Romans punished their people that committed heinous crimes. So it was, it was not unusual that it was happening. It was unusual in who it was happening to. And, and the Bible says that as Jesus hung on the cross, it, they were, people were celebrating Passover. So it was a very busy time of the year. People, all the hotels were crowded and, and all the restaurants were crowded and, and all the people were kind of exciting. It, it, was, it was a day where they would celebrate and, and they would offer their forgiveness for sin. They really not even understanding what was going on right up the hill from them. But when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible said that from the 12th hour to the 3rd hour, from 12, noon to 3, it went dark. It went li lights out. 
I mean, blackness covered the whole earth. Now, that, that is an unusual experience. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. People are, are walking up and down the streets. They're mocking him, belittling him, making fun of him. And all of a sudden, it goes black. Not only does it go black, but the veil was torn from top to bottom in the temple. And so Jesus is on the cross, and some of his final words, which we'll talk about later, he said, it is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. And at that very moment, the curtain was, was rent, it was torn. And, and you got to understand what that represented. Behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God. Up until that time, nobody could enter the presence of God. There was only one man, the high priest. He could only do it one day on the Day of Atonement. And they would even wrap a rope around his waist so that if he got in there and the presence of God got too strong, it would kill him. They could pull him out. So nobody could go into the presence of God. Nobody had direct access but this one priest. And at the moment Jesus said, it is finished, into my hands I commit my spirit, that veil was torn. It just symbolized that now we have direct access into the throne of God. We don't need a priest. We don't need a liaison. We, we have an intercessor, and his name is Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. We have direct access into God's throne. Not only did the temple, te the, the, the curtain tear, but the earth shook. It shook enough where rocks split. It shook enough to get people's attention. So I just, uh, uh, not an unusual crucifixion, but an unusual, very unusual events that surrounded it. A dark night, uh, a veil torn, uh, uh, an earthquake. The dead were raised. They, they said that they saw righteous people getting out of the grave, and they would re later walk with Jesus at his, at his, at his resurrection uh, body. And then maybe one of the greatest, I don't know, the greatest, but one that kind of convinces me is the centurion's acknowledgement. And you got to, again, remember the centurion. He was hardened. He was unmerciful. He was ungracious. He did this for a living. He killed people on a regular basis. He shed blood regularly. He was the man that ordered uh, Jesus to be stripped and beaten. He was the man that ordered the crown to be put on his head. He was the man who ordered Christ to carry his cross uphill. He was the man who put the spikes in his wrist. He was the man who lifted up the cross and allowed it to fall into that hole that had been dug earlier. He was the man that, that gambled for his clothes. He was the man that saw the whole event, hardened. Uh, uh, he was bragging about it. Look, again, look, oh, you're the king of the Jews. I, I've just destroyed the king of the Jews. But, but this is what happened after the lights went out and after all that happened, the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, and they were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Who do you say Jesus is? I mean, you got to look at his birth. You got to look at his life. You got to look at his death. You got to look at his resurrection. Again, I mean, all we know is Jesus lived and died, and when they went to the tomb, he wasn't there anymore. And so people would try to say, well, he never died. There was a sword that was put in his side. There, the soldier said he was dead. He was put in a grave. Well, the Romans stole his body. Why would the Romans want a dead? Why would they want Jesus to be dead but not seen? When Peter's preaching about a resurrected Savior, all the Romans had to do was present to them this Jesus that they, that they stole. What, well, the, well, the women went to the wrong tomb. Well, go to the right tomb. And will this and will that. Well, what really happened? And, and let me point you to, to Scripture again. This is what Paul said. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Here's the priority. Here's the main thing. You want to know the main thing? Here is it. This is it. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and that he was buried. 
Then he was raised on the third day, and he appeared to Peter. Some of you know the life of Peter. You're you're somewhat familiar with who he was. He was was one of the first disciples that Jesus called. He he was kind of the loud mouth of the group. He was in the inner circle of three. He got to be with Jesus when he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, and and Jesus' body showed and uh, glowed, and and God came down. He was there when he broke the five loaves and the two fish and fed the multitudes. He had a front seat to everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said. And Peter's response was, I'll never deny Christ. I'll never turn my back on God. Until the soldiers came to get him. And he scattered and dispersed just like everybody else. And he followed from a distance. And he was in the courtyard. And people were trying to identify him with Christ. And they were saying, hey, aren't you one of his? You look familiar. You look like you've been with Jesus. And no way, man. I don't even know the man. Finally, the third time, Mark's gospel says he began to curse and swear just to distance himself again from any kind of relationship with Jesus. And not long after he said that, the rooster crowed, and he was convicted, and he realized that he had sinned, and he'd blown it, that he had denied Christ. And as you study scripture, you'll find in John chapter 21, he was very discouraged, went back to fishing, kind of threw up his hands in ministry. I don't know what this is all about. This was not supposed to happen. My my leader, my savior was not supposed to die like this. He was supposed to come and, and establish some kingdom, and I was supposed to rule with him, and now he's dead, and now he's gone, and, and what's going to happen? But something happened in Peter's life that made him stand up before 3,000 plus people and begin to share that Jesus died and that people needed him and that he resurrected from the grave. What happened in Peter's life? The only thing I can conclude is that he appeared to Peter. He resurrected just like he said, and then he appeared to the 12. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. And those 500 went out and turned their world upside down. Then he appeared to James. You know who James is? James is the brother of Jesus. Don't, again, don't raise your hands, but think about any second-borns, third-borns, any babies of the family. I'm a second-born, and it's just usually, I mean, this, they've got this thing called birth order, and they've got some characteristics of, of the sequence and how you are. Usually, first-borns are more perfectionist. Usually, they care more about their grades. They, they, they're, they're, they're more concerned about detail. They're more, they, they just, they just want to get things right. They're, 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 I just call them, they're usually a little bit more anal and, and just not, not as fun as the second borns. And, and, uh, that's kind of a joke, but, but they, and I had an older brother and he, obviously he was a firstborn. He was very smart. And, 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 and every teacher that I had that had him thought, well, because I was his brother, I was going to be smart. And, and that just because I had his last name didn't give me his intelligence. And, 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 I, and he didn't struggle, I struggled. And we, everything was different about us, but really our last names. I want you to think about being the younger brother of Jesus. You, you think about that for a minute. You think about uh, uh, you're getting in trouble and your 12-year-old brother is teaching at the temple. And everybody's sc- sitting around him and he's talking about how smart he is. And they're saying how great he is. And then he comes home. You're the younger brother, and your older brother comes home saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If my brother said that, he's crazy. And you know what Jesus' brother said, James included, said, you're crazy. You're a lunatic. You've lost your mind. And his, his unbelief and his uncommitment and his idea that his brother was a lunatic went all the way up to the cross until he died. But something happened to James. James was killed for preaching about a resurrected Savior. Why? Because then he appeared to James. And then at last he appeared to me, which is Paul. 
And you, 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 some of you know Paul, he was an opponent of the New Testament church. He wanted to destroy Christians, kill Christ followers, anything that anybody had to do with Jesus, he wanted to destroy. And he was on his way to Damascus to do and accomplish that very task. And God came to him, and Jesus interrupted him and, and said, why are you persecuting me? And it was at that moment that Peter, or Paul rather, gave his life and his, and his heart to Christ. And, and Paul goes out, and now the very church that he was trying to oppose, he becomes a part of. He's willing to spend days in jail. He's willing, he's willing to be beat with rods. He's willing, he's willing to suffer persecution. He's willing to die about preaching a resurrected Savior because the only thing I can think of is because he appeared to Paul as well. I, you know, I've told you my story. I don't want to bore you with it, but as a 17-year-old church kid, I came to my senses and realized that I needed Jesus. And Jesus came into my heart and into my life. And I, and I could look across this crowd and I could see a Scott who was a drug addict and on his way to hell but said yes to Jesus. And Je how, how, how do I know that? Because Jesus came alive to him, made sense to him. Dave, right behind him, another uh, a lost cause that had no hope and no future. But Jesus, by his divine mercy and his divine grace, showed up in his life, showed up in it, interrupted his plan, interrupted his journey, and now is the Lord and the leader of his life. How do I know Jesus lived? Because he lives in me. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who do you say Jesus is? Before you answer, why don't you consider his birth? Why don't you think about his life? Why don't you consider his death? And why don't you, for all means, consider his resurrection? Who do you say Jesus is? God said at his baptism, God the Father said, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. We've already, we've already reported that the centurion said, surely this was the son of God. We know those people in John chapter 4 said, this is the Messiah. This is the one who we've been waiting on. In, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus came to his disciples and said, hey, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're a prophet, and some say you're a good teacher, and some say this. And he looked at them, and who do you say that I am? Who, who do you? Who do you? Peter, who do you say that I am? James, who do you say that I am? John, who do you say that I am? If, if Jesus was here, Andy, who do you say that I am? Shannon, who do you say that I am? Stan, who do you say that I am? And their response was, you're the, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, this has not been revealed to you by man, but this has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. See, one event, two responses. One said, I don't have a need. And, the other, and one, said, one said, I don't have a need, and this is an average man. The other said, I recognize my need, and he's the son of God. And you know what Jesus' response was? I assure you, today, and I love, I, I love I, let me just break that down. Today, you don't have to get right to come to God. You come to God, and he'll help you get right. God wants to save you today. He don't want you living in your sin another day. He doesn't want you living without a leader another day. Today is the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Today is the, the event has been illustrated and talked about before you, and the response needs to be made today. He says, today you will be. It's certain. It's not I'll think about it. Uh, you'll be with me once you take care of everything. No, it, it's right now. Today you'll, you'll be with me. See, 
When you come to Jesus, it's not a religion, it's not a ritual, it's not a bunch of uh, uh, stuff, it's a relationship. And it doesn't start when you get to paradise, it starts the moment you say, Jesus, I got a need, and will you be the Lord and the leader of my life? At that very moment, you enter into a relationship with Christ, with God, through Jesus Christ. You have a leader that will help you and guide you and pull out the best in you. Today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is a real place. Heaven is for real. And heaven is forever. Here's the two questions. Do you recognize your need? Well, I'm a good person. Well, I'm an American. Well, I voted this way. It doesn't matter. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you recognize your need? And secondly, who do you say Jesus is? A fictitious character? Or another religious leader? Or have you declared he's the son of the living God? He died on a cross for my sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he's the Lord and the leader of my life. Bow your heads with me, will you? In this holy moment. In this moment of response. Maybe you're here today and you've never done that. You've never recognized your need. You've never recognized your need. And you've never, you've never responded to Jesus as Jesus, you're the, you're the son of the living God. You're what I need today. If you need your sins forgiven, if you need a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask the Christians all over this place to pray. Lord, I, I'm just asking right now, in the, in the holiness of this moment, Holy Spirit, will you be here to convict and draw? Will you give us a revelation of your love? And may we respond to it by giving you our hearts and our lives. With your heads bowed and your eyes shut, maybe you're here today and you're not walking with Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You've not said yes to Jesus, but today you want to. Will you, will you raise your hand? I'm looking at, first, I'm looking at my left, your right. This aisle over here, every head bowed, Christians, you're praying. You say, I need Jesus today. Will you raise it? Raise your hand on my, on my left, your right. Anybody in the center section, I need Jesus today. Thank you. Anybody else? You can put it down. Thank you. Anybody else? I need Jesus today. The center section. I need to, I recognize, I, I've, I've, I've gone astray. I recognize that I, I'm not right in the eyes of God and I need his forgiveness. Anybody on my right? My right. You say, I need Jesus today. Anybody? Thank you. Anybody else? You can put it down. Thank you. Anybody else? I need Jesus today. Anybody in the balcony, I need Jesus today. I need him to forgive me. Thank you. You can put it right back down. I see it. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Why don't you stand with me? Everybody, will you stand at your feet? I've seen about five, six hands maybe that have said that they need Jesus today. And look, I don't want to do any kind of bait and switch. I don't want to do any kind of manipulation. I don't want to do that. And what I'm about to ask you to do is going to take courage. It's going to take strength. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take... It's going to take, I mean, business. What I'm going to ask you to do is not easy. And, 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 and the reality is I don't even know really if it's necessary. But I do think it's important. The Bible says if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be born again. You raised your hand. 
Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you recognize it now. And I'm asking you to confess it. I'm asking you to step out from where you're standing and to come forward and give us a minute to pray with you. Give us a minute to lead you in a prayer. Give us a minute to help you with your next step. Give us a minute to pray over you and to to set you right, help you get right with God. Pastor Trevor is going to sing a chorus. And and again, in in the holiness of this moment, who do you say Jesus is? And if you need to, if you need to repent, if you need to confess him as Lord, will you come forward and we're going to pray with you?